This week's episode of The Dive Podcast is brought to you by Neil Kelly, a leader in the design, installation, and maintenance of residential solar energy systems in Oregon. Visit neilkelly.com solar to learn more and to schedule a complimentary solar assessment, or call them at 503-288-7461. Welcome to The Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week, where every Saturday we discuss the biggest news stories of the week with Portland's noisiest newsmakers, savviest culturistas, and some of the best journalists in the game. I'm your host, Brianna Wheeler, and I want to hear from you. So send your questions and comments to me, bwheeler at wweek.com. All right, y'all. Enjoy the show. My Republican opponents, they're going to spend millions. The NRCC, National Republican Campaign Committee, has already targeted this race. They're coming after us. They're not going to have any limitations. It's important to be able to defend yourself in this day and age, get the word out. There's so much misinformation that my opponent has alluded to on social media that is a complete mischaracterization, if not outright lie, my positions. I have to be able to get the word out and tell people, here's what's actually happened. And then they get to choose. They get to believe me uh, or somebody else at well, the end of the day. And, and there's misinformation coming out on the glut of flyers that you've that you've sent out and the, the ridiculous stage photos. I mean, we talked about this before where you've got a photo of you bucking hay barehanded. Speaking as someone who's bucked hay, you don't buck hay barehanded. I bucked hay, and if you're only a few bales, I see you driving a tractor in your commercial. Barehanded. You got no gloves on either. <laughs> barehanded. Yeah, you don't have to. You don't have to do that. But if you work for a living, you have. I'm shaking your hands. You have very soft hands. That snippet of audio comes courtesy of Kurt Schrader and his opponent, Jamie McLeod Skinner, both of whom sat for interviews with Willamette Week's editorial staff in hopes of garnering an endorsement from the paper. Today we're talking to Aaron Mesh, the news editor for Willamette Week and one of the esteemed journalists who grilled this season's candidates as part of what he called absolutely a job interview. Later, we'll be joined by John Horvick, whose firm DHM provided data that outlines where the electorate is politically, fiscally, and emotionally. It's Saturday, April 30th, and this is episode 69 of The Dive. In this week's cover package, Willamette Week's news team is interviewing midterm candidates at the state, county, and city level to determine who, from a voter's standpoint, might make the most effective leaders during this historically chaotic time. Over the course of about a month, the editorial board of WW conducted over 30 interviews with candidates. And listeners, I urge you to visit www.week.com so you can see for yourself how some of these folks handled questions, both probing and basic, from WW's investigative journalists. Those clips, alongside the data aggregated by DHM research, certainly paints an interesting picture of not just where we're at, but also how we got here, and maybe how we can move forward. I'll chat with Aaron and John in a moment, but first... Here's what I learned from this week's edition, as well as the highlights from the endorsement interviews at WW. Jessica Vega-Peterson, who's running against Dr. Sharon Myron for the position of Multnomah County Chair, suggested regarding homelessness that if Myron hadn't gotten the answers she wanted from the Joint Office of Homeless Service, Maybe she's not as good at her job as she thinks she is. President Joe Biden suggested Joanne Hardesty make the leap from City Hall to Multnomah County, and her challengers agree she should bounce. Hardesty maintains that she's effective where she's at. Whether she will continue to be effective remains to be seen, 
but at least she got our endorsement. The OLCC's recent updates to cannabis regulations, including an increase in dosage and required scoring for THC edibles, went into effect right before 420, which could have negatively affected some small businesses. Others rose to meet the challenge, and now a whole new slate of 100 milligram edibles are lining dispensary shelves. Good luck, THC newcomers. I'll see you on the astral plane. And those are three things I learned from WW This Week. Now, let's get into what goes into newspaper endorsements with Aaron Mesh. Hello, Aaron. Hello, Brianna. Thank you for joining me today. It's good to be here. So this week we're talking about WW's May 2022 endorsements. What went into putting together this package? So we're sitting in a room right now together that uh, I've spent a lot of time in in the past month. So this is our downstairs conference room and... Anybody who goes to wweek.com this week will see videos of the, I think it's 33 separate interviews that we did in this room over the past four weeks. Almost all of them were done in the last three weeks. The first thing we do is we go through the voters pamphlet and try to figure out how many contested races are on the ballot. I think as less and less people subscribe to newspapers across the country, A lot of our readers aren't as familiar with how the newspaper endorsement process worked as they were, say, 10 years ago. And a lot of people look at the campaign advertising that arrives in their mailboxes, in which there are lots of endorsements, many of them from other public officials and politicians. And they think that our endorsements are the same thing as those. And they're not, and they're not for this reason. Uh, If I'm a sitting Portland city commissioner and... Dan Ryan is up for re-election, I have the choice whether or not to endorse his re-election bid or just do nothing at all. Newspapers don't do that. Newspapers come in and try to give voters advice as if they were a voter themselves. So some of the picks are easier to comprehend than others, like um, Kotek and Drazen, for example. But let's talk about what might come off as more wild card endorsements like Jamie McLeod Skinner over established rep Kurt Schrader. Why do they stand out to the WW News team? I think our our editorial board reached the conclusion that after uh, seven terms, Schrader had become more impressed with himself than (laughs) other people were with him. In other words, uh, he has spent a great deal of time telling people that he's the centrist who can, is the only Democrat who can possibly win his district, uh, and then going to DC and behaving as someone who doesn't seem to have the interest of his constituents in mind so much as the interest of his donors. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think we got tired of the obstructionism. So did any Republican candidates stand out as particularly extremist? The Republican Party has, the Overton window has shifted so far to the right within that party that um, it is difficult to find someone who walks in here who isn't talking about critical race theory or um, demonizing transgender children. And there were also a lot of people who I thought were really decent folks. Let's talk about that DHM survey. More Oregonians hold a favorable view of Trump than Biden, Brown, or Wyden. What does this mean for like a contemporary progressive Oregon. Is the pendulum swinging to conservatism? Yes. I mean, I think there's no question that we're seeing a rightward trend, and it's not just in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, just, I just think you cannot overestimate the degree to which 
the incompetence and inaction of the Democratic Party in this state uh, and the rise of uh, the housing crisis being visible on the streets across the West Coast, in Los Angeles, in Seattle, in Portland, in San Francisco, the same dynamic is playing out everywhere, which is that voters spent two years trapped indoors, and when they left their houses, especially older white voters, felt like something dystopian had gone wrong while they were inside trying not to get COVID. Mm -hmm. Was WW able to find out what changed about Dan Ryan's relationship to the Portland Police Bureau? Aside, you know, he talked about now he's changed his position because now he's privy to its inner workings. He's not privy to their inner workings. He's privy to polling numbers that show the same thing we just talked about. Mm-hmm. That uh, the voters have shifted to the right and that Dan Ryan is, uh, is wandering along with them. The voters are not interested in challenges to police power right now. It's not a fashionable position to take. The fashionable position right now is a law and order position. That is where the the mood of the electorate is. It's an interesting question, right? Because like sometimes people say like, well, my job isn't to stand up for what I believe. My job is to stand up for my constituents. Yeah. A really fun question that I'm posing only as a hypothetical. What if your constituents are wrong? What if your constituents uh, have lost the plot? Mm-hmm. These endorsement interviews were compared to job interviews. Like, how does that how does that play out with the entire editorial board interviewing these people? What at the same time? It's totally a job interview, and there are times that essentially, and there, these weren't as these weren't as hostile as some of the interviews I've seen in the past. But there are absolutely moments in which we essentially say to people, "Here's your record. Here's what you said you were going to do. Here's what you've done. Why should we not fire you?" Mm-hmm. And it is a kind of defending your life situation in which your task as a candidate is to explain to us why it is we should believe you and not our own eyes. Mm-hmm. And there is a degree to which, like, some of the conversations that we're having, especially in this election cycle, are a, am I supposed to believe you or my own eyes kind yeah. of conversation. There are a lot of people who are seeking our endorsement who uh, essentially were trying to tell us that things aren't so bad in this city. And... I don't know that that passes the sniff test. You know, I said a few minutes ago that, uh, that in some ways the voters might be wrong about what their priorities are. Um, and I think that's true. But I also think that the opposite is true, which is that uh, there are a lot of people in the establishment, and I would include people we endorsed, like Joanne Hardesty and Jessica Vega-Peterson and Lynn Peterson, who would tell you that, uh, that the things that are happening in this city involving uh, homelessness, trash, and crime really aren't as bad as, um, as naysayers want to make them out to be. And at a certain point, that just doesn't pass the bullshit meter. Mm-hmm. Because you walk outside, and it's not good. Yeah. Uh, and you look at the number of murders in this city. I, I, I just can't get over the homicide rate. Yeah. Like, I don't think that anybody who's an honest broker can get over the homicide yeah. rate. I don't think you can look at uh, unhoused people killing each other in Old Town and black citizens of the city killing each other in East Portland and say that something hasn't gone terribly wrong in our social safety net. Mm-hmm. And then ask questions about, like, the competence of the people who oversee that social safety net. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
That was probably why this was such a difficult election cycle for us, is a lot of people came in here who share this newspaper's values, and we're not very confident in their execution. Thank you, Aaron. Now let's catch up with pollster John Horvick to examine what DHM Research's recent poll can tell us about Oregon's aggrieved electorate. I've been listening to the the podcast. It's been really great. It's been nice to have something that's so local. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, So today I was hoping that um, you could explain some of the data that DHM Research provided for this week's WW endorsement issue. Specifically, that more Oregonians hold a positive view of Donald Trump than mm-hmm. of Joe Biden, Kate Brown, or Ron Wyden. First of all, what? Uh, second of all, how was that data collected? Uh, survey research, we have different tools that are available to us. Um, this particular survey was a combination of both live interview telephone calls. So that traditional thing that people are probably used to imagining. Someone calls up and interview asks some questions. Young people in particular... Uh, you know, folks that are under, say, 40, you know, just are tough to get them to pick up the phone. And so to ensure that we're getting people to participate that are representative of the community or voters, we have to use different modes. And so it was a mix of both. The reality is, is that Oregonians are just really upset about how things are going in the state, whether that's about the economy, about homelessness, about rising crime rates. They're just grumpy and upset. And, and there's no person to hold more accountable uh, to their frustration than the executive of the state, Governor Brown. Okay. Now, I, past presidents tend to become more popular once they leave office. And I'd say Donald Trump in particular, that he has been more quiet in that he doesn't have his platforms to say the things that would get sort of voters really outraged about has been helpful for his popularity. So this combination <laughs> of voters being upset about how things are going in, in Oregon past presidents tend to become more popular and he hasn't had the platform available to him to upset people in the way that he he has in the past. Um, what did the demographics break out like? Like who exactly is getting polled regarding race, yeah. age, income, gender? What does that sample look like? The survey that I the, we, we conducted on behalf of OPB, and I think that you're referencing here, that was a survey of all registered voters in Oregon. And in Oregon, about 95% of eligible people are now registered to vote. With automatic voter registration, we've just done a really great job of of, including people in the electorate. Um, And so when we do a survey, we know, uh, you know, half should be men, half should be women. And we know what percent of registered voters are 18 to 29 or 65 plus or live in this part of the state or that part of the state or have a college degree or are are from communities of color. And so when we're doing our survey, we make our calls, do our text messaging to ensure that the demographic profile of the people we're reaching and the people who are participating match all the demographic profiles of registered voters in Oregon. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, by party, by age, by race, by area of the state, all those things we're monitoring, keeping track of to make sure that what we're getting back is actually reflective of, in this case, registered voters in the state of Oregon. We ask people uh, just how they would rate the economy and how they rate their personal finances. The economy is a really tricky one because if it's not just in Oregon. We look at national surveys. People are pretty gloomy about the economy. Um, Gallup's numbers, for example, had the, their economic confidence index lower than it was in, in the early days of the pandemic when there was that real shock. And so it's not just Oregon. Americans are feeling this way as well. The thing that 
that I think I'm learning as a pollster, as frankly, as an adult, this is the first time I've gone through a period of a high, of high inflation. And it turns out that that matters more to the broad electorate than the unemployment rate. And so what we see is, is you know, jobs available, low unemployment, but rising costs really making people feel bad. I'd say in Portland in particular, rising housing costs are really sort of driving negative attitudes. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. The other is that in the, with regards to the economy, in, in the early days of the pandemic, or really through most of the pandemic, it was young people, 18, 29 year olds, 18 to 45 year olds who were feeling more stressed about their personal finances. Mm-hmm. And those who were 65 and older were feeling relatively okay. In the last six months or so, last six, nine months, we've seen it switch where younger people, they're still anxious, they're still worried, but it's fallen a little bit. I think that's driven by the fact there's lots of jobs available mm-hmm. and, and, and wages have been going up a bit. Uh, but voters who are 65 and older, their anxiety has rocketed up. And if you are someone who's retired on a fixed income, you don't have ways to go make more money or increase your wages, you really uh, hit by inflation. And so that is something that is really stuck out to me. So this disconnect between what might be considered a, a good economic market, there's lots of jobs, wages are increasing with this, this pressure of rising prices and who it affects and I'd say in, when we think about the election in May, the voters who are most likely to show up are those who are yeah. 65 plus, right? Those are the ones who are going to be most concerned about inflation. Mm-hmm. And, and they're the ones that we're seeing that rise, that rapid change in anxiety. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a pollster, mm-hmm. did you see this swing in public temperament building? Or uh, yes. should I ask them, yeah, how long have you been seeing this coming? So I'd say... It has accelerated, say, in the last six to nine months, but the trend has been apparent for the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. I would say what's what's different now than previous recent elections, where we're talking um, 2018, the last gubernatorial election, or you go back to 2010, where the Republicans came really close to winning the gubernatorial election and split the, the House of Representatives in Oregon. At the time, the top issues were like education and health care and taxes, kind of bread and butter, typical, traditional sort of issues. Mm-hmm. The last two or three years, and especially now, the concerns are homelessness, mm-hmm. crime, and rising costs of living. And homelessness has been an issue that has been becoming in more and more concerning to voters. You just, mar- you just watch the march up in the trend lines. Three, four, five years ago, it wasn't showing up very much, and then it just increases, increases, increases. And now, say in the Portland metro area, if you ask voters, "What's your number one issue?" about half will say homelessness. Yeah. What's your and then about another about another quarter will say crime, and and that those two trends aren't homelessness. It's gone a little bit longer. Crime a little bit more recent, but it makes this moment just qualitatively different than anything that I've seen in in my lifetime. Big thanks to my guests today, Aaron Mesh and John Horvick. And thank you for tuning in. I hope that you'll join us again next week. Until then... Bye.